This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Eli and His Sons, and it comes from 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 36. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk, Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salary or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Now, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no space in between, radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Also, you can listen to us on iTunes by going and searching in the podcast section for WMER, Radio Bible Class with no space in between, Radio Bible Class. Now, today we're going to pick back up in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we're going to finish out chapter 2 hopefully today. But before I do that, I'd like to go back to chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2 and give you a quick recap. I told you that Samuel was a unique priest because he is a transition person that God uses to transition from the time of the judges. And it's not the judges like we think about where they wear black robes and that kind of thing. These were people that God brought up to lead the nation of Israel, and they were great leaders. They were military leaders. And now the people want a king just like other nations have. And so he, we're going from the time of the judges to the king, and we're going to see that Samuel, he becomes the transition from the priest to the king. He actually anoints the kings that we, as we t- make that transition. But anyhow, the first week in this book, we saw that there was this man named Elkanine, and he had two wives, and those two wives were Hannah and Penina. And Penina had children, and Hannah did not. Her womb was closed. She had the problem infertility, and we know how painful that is. We talked a lot about that. But it says that Elkanine was a godly man. He was a righteous man because he would go up every year, and he would take you know, the the sacrifices, and he would do sacrifices for the atonement of his sins. We also kind of skipped over this, but there are two sons that are the priest at the time. They're Eli's son. Eli's the head priest, and these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And today we're going to see how they were very corrupt, how they were worthless men, how they didn't know God. That's what the Bible says. But anyhow, Elkina would go up and he would worship every year. And what we find out is Penina, who had all the children, was very jealous of Hannah because Elkina loved Hannah. As a matter of fact, it said he would give her a double portion of food. But Penina was her rival. She would provoke her. She would irritate her. She would rub it in that she couldn't have children. This would make Hannah very sad. 
And the Bible tells us that Elkanah will come up to her and say, Oh, Hannah, banana, love of my life, sweetheart, aren't I better than ten children? He tried to make her feel better because he didn't understand the deep pain of infertility. And then we saw the rival that would rub it in and it would be cruel to her and would taunt her. But what happens? She goes before God and she prays. And Eli Caesars, they just got through eating uh, their food and drinking wine. Now, she didn't drink wine. She didn't even eat because she was so upset. But Eli didn't catch that part of it. But as she's praying before God and probably as she's wailing out some, her mouth is moving, but she's not saying anything. And Eli thinks she's drunk. And Eli comes up to her and says, how long will you be there drunk? Get off the wine, woman. And she says, I'm not drunk. I'm broken hearted. I haven't been drinking. There's not been a drop of wine on my lips. I just poured out my heart to God because I want a child. And Eli told her, well, go in peace then. And may God answer that because of your desperate cry. And what we can learn from this that I showed was that, first of all, a lot of times there are going to be people that don't understand, just like Elkanah didn't understand. There are going to be those that will be our rivals, those that will provoke us, those that will try to stop what God is telling us to do. And then the last thing we see is that there'll be people that don't understand, that misinterpret what God is doing and what we are going to do for God. And that's what happened with Eli. But we saw that Hannah didn't let any of that stop her. She poured out her heart, but she made a vow that if she was to be with child, that she would give that child back to God. And so God heard her prayer. And it says that when Hannah and her husband left, that they eventually conceived in due time. And I pointed out that God is always on time. He's not necessarily on our time. God is on his time. He's never late. He's never early. He is always on time. And we see that she is given a child. She conceives in due time. And then what happens? She honors her request. She stays home for three years because that was the custom back then. And she and she took care and she nursed that son until he was weaned. And that would have been about three to four years old. And then she took him back to Shiloh and she gave him back. And we saw the prayer that she prayed while she was worshiping before she handed him to Eli. But what I did want you to see is that in that prayer that we looked at last week, how she talked about God, she didn't mention the son at all. She talked about how good God was, how strong God was, how mighty he was, how he raised up kings and he took kings down, how he protected those who were his servants and how he took revenge and he took down those that were against him. And then we finished up where she handed Eli her son, that little three-year-old hand, the hardest thing she could have ever had to do. It was hard enough that she was ridiculed and she had a rival on that but it was nothing, I believe, to the pain of having to give that hand up, something that she wanted so much. And I told you that the hardest thing you will ever do is give up your Samuel. There are folks that have prayed a prayer that have given most of their heart to God, but there is something that they're holding back and they've not given it to God and they are struggling in that area of their life. It could be your marriage. It could be your children. It could be your job. It could be material things of a house. Whatever it is, if you have not given that to God, God is knocking on your heart today and he is telling you, I want your Samuel. The thing you hold so dear, you need to give that to me as well. You can't give me most. You can't give me some. You have to give me all. Because the Bible tells us if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. 
And so that brings us right up to where we are today. So if you would look in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we'll start in verse 12. And I'll be reading out the ESV. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. How sad is that? Here are two priests that represent God, that speak for God, and they don't know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and all that fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And that is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So let's stop right there for now. What I want you to see is the character of these two priests. The first thing the Bible says is that they were worthless men. Now, I don't know what version that you're looking at in your Bible. It may be the NIV where it says that they were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Maybe you're looking at the New Living Translation. This is the same thing. They were scoundrels. They had no respect for the Lord. The New King James says they were corrupt and they did not know the Lord. The New American Standard Bible said they were useless men. They did not know the Lord. Whatever verb you want to use here, they were scoundrels. They were wicked. They were worthless. They had no regard for the Lord. Well, you may go, Tim, look, I'm not a priest, so why does this apply to me? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. Really, to answer that, first you have to understand that priests used to intercede for us. But Hebrews teaches us in chapter 4, starting in verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin." Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. If you flip over to Hebrews 9, it talks about how Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the last sacrifice. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. So what we saw Elkanah was doing coming every year and having a sacrifice from a bull or a goat or a dove Jesus did that for us, and because of that, he is now our high priest, and we become priests. And that's what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So why this applies to you is that you are a priest. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, If you have accepted Jesus in your heart, then you are able to go to God directly. You don't have to go through some priest. You don't have to pray to Mary. You don't have to confess before a priest. You go directly to God. And because of that, we have our own way to call on God and ask for forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, our high priest. So now that we've established why this is important to you, let's continue to look at what they did. Look at verse 15 with me. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give me meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if that man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, because that's what the law of Moses says, then take as much as you want afterwards. He would say, No, you must give it to me now, and if not, I'll take it by force. 
And I want you to see what the Bible says about this. Verse 17, thus the sins of the young men were very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So let's break these verses down real quick. First, the sons of Eli were corrupt. We see that. Their priests, in fact, the law teaches in Leviticus that they were only supposed to get the breast and they were supposed to get the shoulder. But they were using a three-pronged hook to get whatever they wanted. And this was the custom in Shiloh. This isn't what the Bible, what the Pentateuch taught. This is not what Leviticus and Deuteronomy says but as priests, they were to get the chest and the shoulder, and here they're getting whatever comes out. They would take effectively a big fork, and they would fork the meat they wanted. And so this is one of the reasons the son of Eli's were considered corrupt. They didn't know the Lord. Now their father was the head priest. He had a knowledge. He knew the Lord. But genetically, knowing the Lord from your mom and your dad doesn't mean that you will know the Lord. And his son did not know the Lord. I want you to catch this. If you're not listening to me, wake up real quick. The only way to get to heaven is for you to know the Lord. It doesn't matter if your mom and dad are a pastor, if they're an evangelist, if they're a Sunday school teacher, if they're a deacon. Only thing that matters is that you know the Lord, that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've asked him to come into your heart and be Lord. And then, as I pointed out, the customs were changed. And you, again, you may go tell them, well, what difference does that really make? I mean, again, they're getting meat. They're not taking all the meat. They are sacrificing some. Well, let's talk about that for a second. That's like saying that I can take the Bible and I can change it any way I want to. Yeah, I'm going to believe that I need to be married, but you know what? I'm going to live with the one that I like first. I want to make sure that we're compatible before we get married. Or that's like saying, I don't believe marriage is just between a man and a woman. That's not for modern day. Yes, that made sense back when the Bible was written. But today, marriage can be, be between man and man and a woman and a woman. Even though the Bible just says man and woman, it doesn't really matter, does it, Tim? Because things have changed. Well, let me tell you what Hebrews 4.12 says. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It doesn't say that it's died and it's changed. It says it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing for the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and descending thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is living and active. That's what it says. And if you don't think that's strong enough, guess what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. What Jesus was saying, things are going to come and go. People, kingdoms are going to rise. Kingdoms are going to fall. Things are going to happen. The earth will change. Things on the earth will change. Things will pass away, but the word of God does not pass away. It stays the same yesterday, today, and forever because the word is God and the word does not change because God does not change. So the Bible says these men were worthless and they didn't know the Lord and they even changed the custom. Instead of taking the breast and the shoulder, they took a three-pronged fork and they would get the meat out. But now make it worse. It says moreover in verse 15. That word moreover right there means to make things worse. They would go to the people and they would say, give me your raw meat before they would even sacrifice. Now, again, you were supposed to sacrifice the fat. The fat went first. And that's why they would say, well, let's burn the fat first. And then you can take what you want. 
The fat was a nice aroma to God. And that's not the fat you're thinking about. Think about bacon. Bacon is mostly fat. We would sacrifice the fat of the bacon. And they wanted that bacon. And so they would take it instead of sacrificing. They took it and they said, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to take it by force. So we see the first character of these two sons is they are stealing from God. They've changed his word and they're stealing from God. Let me ask, what are you stealing from God today? What have you taken from God's word and you've twisted it so it fits your mold, it fits what you need it to fit, and so now you can feel good about yourself and you are looking at yourself. And that's what's wrong with these two boys is it's all about themselves. But not only did they steal from God, they were also sexually immoral as well. They had sexual immorality in their life. Jump down to verse 22. We'll come back to verse 18 through 21 in just a minute. I want you to see that Eli was old and he kept hearing the things that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And we'll stop right there. So we see that his sons would have premarital sex. They would have sex outside the marriage. And that's what the Bible teaches again. And we can spend a lot of time about this, but I'm just going to say the Bible teaches that the only way you're supposed to have sex is in marriage. And these boys were going to these women outside the temple and they would have sex with them right there at the entrance of the tent of meeting. They were making them prostitutes. They made them the same as the Canaanite women who would do the same thing. They would have sex during their worship to their idols. You're probably thinking, Tim, why are you getting so wrapped around this? Well, first of all, there's a lot of preachers that have preacher sex scandals and I can't speak for them. Preachers are held to a higher standard, but you are a priest too. And for you to take this lightly, to have sex outside of marriage, then you are blatantly sinning before God and saying it doesn't matter. Jesus covered this as well. Jesus said, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. That's John 14, 15. If you are not keeping his commandments, if you are changing his commandments so you can keep his commandments, then you're not keeping his commandments. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. And what we see is that these two boys were worthless and they didn't know the Lord. They knew themselves and they were all about themselves. And today, if you are not keeping Jesus' commandments because there is something that you love, you have a Samuel that you haven't given away yet. There's something that you love that you're not willing to give to God. Because when we love Jesus, we give him all of our heart. and We give up the things that satisfy our flesh. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, that he had to die daily. He had to take off the old man. He had to put on the new man and that he would walk in the new man. And that meant dying to himself. And we have to do the same thing. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are going to sin when we don't let our flesh die daily and walk in the spirit. But now let's contrast Samuel to these two sons of Eli. Look with me at verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked the Lord. So then they would return to their home. 
In verse 21, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. What we see right here is that Samuel ministered before the Lord. Even as evil as Eli's sons were, Samuel was different. We could say that's why God raised Samuel up, because of the corruption in Eli's son. God knew how bad Eli's son were, so he guided the whole series of events that would result in Samuel's service and bring him to the tabernacle so that he could be raised up to be a successor to Eli. One of the things I can tell you, even corrupt ministers cannot stop the hand of God. They can't hinder the hand of God. Now, God knows what's going on, and he can even take a corrupt minister and not let him stop what he needs to be done. And then we see again that Hannah came yearly, part of that sacrifice that Elkanah did, being the righteous man that he was. They would come every year. She would bring a robe and she'd put it on him and she would give it to him. And I imagine there were years that that robe was a little tighter because he grew more than she expected. But it said he wore a linen ephod, which meant that he was in a service to the Lord. In verse 18, it says that he was ministering before the Lord. If you look at that word ministering, it means to minister. It means to serve. It means to minister to As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not just supposed to be a sponge that sits on a pew and listens to what the Word of God says. That's important. And we have to listen to it. We have to learn from the Word of God. We have to study the Word of God. We have to hide it in our heart. We have to apply it to our life. But part of that Word of God says that we are to go out and ministers because we are a priest. We are to go out and make disciples. There are too many Christians today that take being a Christian as a passive sport, that you sit and you're taught and that's all you have to do. But we see that Samuel understood and he was ministering before the Lord, that he was serving before the Lord. Now contrast that to Eli's son. What's the difference between the two? Samuel is ministering to God. It is not about self. It is not about him. He's not worried about what piece of meat. He's not worried about how that meat is cooked or getting it raw and selling it. What's he doing? He's ministering to the people. He's obeying the word of God and he's living it out. The two sons that didn't know God lived for themselves. They lived for self. And then one more thing I want to point out, and I got to get going because I still have a little bit more to cover. The Lord visited Hannah is what it says. And he certainly did. She gave up one son. And what did she get back? She got three more. Plus she got two daughters. Here is an example of how you cannot outgive God. She gave up her son and he gave her three more and two children. God will never be a debtor to anyone. And then we see that Eli rebukes his son. So look back at verse 22 with me. As I told you, Eli was old and he kept hearing about his sons were doing things that weren't good to Israel and how they would lay with women and they were that were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things for I hear of your evil dealings of these people? No, my sons, it's not good report that I hear of the people that the Lord is spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against God, who can intercede for him? What a wisdom statement but they would not listen to their father. It was the will of the Lord for them to be put to death. And then, like I said in verse 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and favor of the Lord and also with man. The people saw the difference. They saw the contrast. 
And so even though these wicked sons would not listen to their father, Samuel continued to grow and they, the people found favor in Samuel. They trusted Samuel because Samuel was living the word of God. The people knew it. They said, hey, we're supposed to burn that fat. Yet the boys wouldn't let them. And finally, in verse 27, we see that the Lord rejects Eli's household. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of the tribe of Israel and the priests to go up to the altar and burn the incense and to wear the ephod before me? I gave the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded to for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fatting yourself on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord of God Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me, I will lightly esteem. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will be not an old man in your house. And then in distress, you will look in envious eyes at the prosperity of those bestowed on Israel and there shall be the old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off this shall be spared to weep his eyes out before his heart and the descendants of your house shall die with the swords. And this shall come upon your two sons. They shall see a sign to you that they shall die on the same day. And I will raise up myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in the heart and in the mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to employ a piece of silver for a loaf of bread and say, please put me in one of the priests' place that I may eat a morsel of bread. So what happens here to summarize this in layman's term is that a man that's not named announces God's judgment against Eli's house. He pronounces a judgment to Eli and says that your family is going to be cut off from the office of the high priest. Remember, Eli is the high priest. This man tells him to be the high priest. First and foremost, that your job is to minister unto the Lord before you are to serve the people and you are to be a servant of God. You're to burn an incense. You're to bring that pitcher of prayer. You're to give a sweet aroma. The incense was an aroma that went up to heaven that pleased God. But most importantly, as priest, you were in charge. You had the responsibility of receiving the offering of God's people and giving it to God and using it properly. And you say, well, Tim, didn't you say Eli knew the Lord? And wasn't he the high priest? Wasn't he okay? It was his son. Well, it says right here that you have been fattened, and we'll see that in chapter 4, that he dies because he is really a heavyset man, Eli is. But you have taken choice pieces of meat, so you've condoned it. You've not said no and abstained from it. And because of all this, because you have condoned what your children have done, and his rebuke that we saw earlier was a little too late, you are going to be cut off. And a part of the promise, the sign to that promise is both of your sons are going to die on the same day by sword. And we'll see that happens as well. But then it finishes that I will raise up myself a faithful priest, one who is faithful. And what is being predicted here is prophecy. That faithful priest, that great priest isn't Samuel that he's talking about. 
but it's God's heart poured out through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only one that came. He was the one that was tempted and overcame temptation. He's the one that came and was able to not sin. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the great priest. He is our high priest, as I showed you in Hebrews. And then it says that everyone in your house will come and they will bow down to this great priest. And we'll see that one great day, there's going to be a knee will bow. Whether you know Jesus or not, you're going to bow a knee before Jesus Christ, this great priest. And you're going to answer for whether you served him or whether you served yourself. So let's close with this. Each and every one of us have to make a decision. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is not what house you'll buy. It's not who you'll marry. It's will you serve Jesus Christ? Jesus is knocking on your heart today and he's saying, let me in. Let me be Lord of your life. Are you going to be like Samuel? Are you going to be like Eli's son? Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to fatten yourself? Are you going to live the fat life? Are you going to be like Samuel? You're going to serve me. Are you going to minister unto me? And that's the question you have to answer today. Are you like Eli's son? Are you like Samuel? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word, that your word is active and living. It doesn't change. Lord, we don't like it sometimes because it pricks us. It ticks our heart. It makes us understand that we are not living the way we should. And it's hard to live the way we should. And that's why Paul told us that we have to die to ourselves daily. We have to take up our cross and follow you. And right now, Lord, I pray for those that are listening today that if they're not doing that, that today would be the day that they would turn it over to you. Whether it's something that they hold dear, that they serve you most of the time, but they're not giving all of their heart to you. I pray today would be the day. And Lord, for those that don't know you, I pray Lord, that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they would confess you before men, that they would uh, confess that they are a sinner and they believe on your finished work on the cross, that you died for them and you rose again. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry and it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name, amen.